0: making them feel making them feel
1: Welcome to Rankin Review episode 223. And what a treat you have plugged into your ear cavities this particular time! Um, it's called On Assignment because, well, we're only doing five reviews this episode. It, it seems like less, but it will be more because we have more guests. We have five guests to talk about five different films with me. And some of it is just a uh, cleanup. Like, for instance, my friend Scott Lehman and I have long discussed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. There's a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, so we were obligated to talk about it. Rayleigh Perkins was promised the opportunity to review and discuss Pig Hunt, so that dream came to fruition this episode. Um, Also, because lately I've been bumping into Walter Hill a lot, I have a discussion with Lee Beckman about the director, Walter Hill, and his early film, Southern Comfort. Um, Matthew Risling will be on the show today to talk about Prey, the latest Predator sequel. And Jason Dubray of the Shelf-Shedding Movies show will be here to talk to me about Barbarian. So there's lots of different range in show movies, lots of different range in guests. But because this particular episode has such recent films... Prey, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022, and Barbarian, all all of them being mere months old by the time this episode drops, I'm going to hit harder than usual my warning about spoilers and about, well, content, coarse language. I mean, we're all adults. You can handle me saying some bad words every now and then. But I don't want to be the guy that wrecks a movie with you for spoilers. And most of the times we're talking about movies 5, 10, 15, 20 or more years old. And I feel like people who listen to the show, you know, they've had their swing at this. They know what they're going into. And you know what you're going into today, kids. And that means if you don't want the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre spoiled, if you don't want Prey spoiled, and most especially Barbarian, since it's so dependent on its reveals. If you don't want that spoiled, maybe check those movies out before you check out this podcast. But thank you ever so much for checking out this podcast. And make sure you check out the website for this podcast, which is rankandreview.ca. R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W dot feedback you can send to rankandreview at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com i appreciate your ears i appreciate you telling anyone else about the podcast who you think might like it and let's get on with rank and review 223 on assignment
2: I want to hunt because you all think that I can't. I saw a sign in the sky.
0: I'm ready. My mom.
1: I you know, well, like, maybe that's a good place to start. Where are you with the Predator franchise? Like, uh, Have you been following it? Do you care about it? I mean, it was hard to ever miss the Arnold Schwarzenegger original.
4: <laughs> yeah, I liked, the, I liked the Predator, the first one, when I was a kid, way back in the 1970s or whenever it came out. Um, and I remember kind of being charmed by the second one, uh, and that was the last one I saw.
1: Okay. Well, the most recent Predator movie was especially disappointing because it was Shane Black who had done, you know, The Nice Guys and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and who had punched up the script on the original Predator. So all of us Predator fanboys uh, who'd sort of uh, been following it more or less (laughs) from 1987 onward uh, got all all excited thinking this is one of the original creators and it was going to be amazing. And he kind of... It was like this weird comedy that he released, and uh, I don't know, it was it was not a satisfying meal. So I like that they took Predator in a different direction, but I also like that we're going to come at this review from different places, because I've seen most of the Predator movies, maybe not counting Alien vs. Predator, usually within a few weeks of their being released. I, I am, I guess, something of a fan of the French so this felt like it was something of a return to form although I do have problems I, there are things that I can call out and I will call out but I did have fun with it but I come in a fan you do not so.
4: <laughs> yeah, Um. actually what it reminded me of is a series of comics that the Dark Horse label was doing in the 90s where they would have, like, Jonah Hex versus zombies, or Lone Ranger and Tonto versus, like, Cthulhu worm monsters. Um, and I actually quite like the idea of, of putting Predator in a historical situation. I, one of the early Dark Horse comics that one of my friends had that I paged through was talking about how Predators visited Earth in different times, and there was, like, a panel where it was in World War One in the trenches. And I was like, yeah, I, I like the idea of. Might as well just use this monster and just put it in different wacky places.
1: And in this case, it's uh, th- the predators hunting animals in and around uh, the early 1800s, and he encounters a command. No, earlier
4: than that, it would, I, it would have been like Europeans were on in North America, but I think the indigenous people that this was following hadn't really had contact, so this would have to be like 16th century or something. Maybe 18th century by the guns.
1: Yeah. We focus on a Comanche tribe. And we see the, both the, their lives and their daily routine, and we see some of the predator hunting. And I don't know if it's his first trip to Earth or whatever, but at first his classification of what he's hunting is almost any other animal that he witnesses hunting something else. And he takes his trophies and whatnot. And I think as far as following the predator lore and seeing him sort of <clears throat> hunting bigger and bigger animals until he finally collides with humanity, uh, I think... Sound idea, sound approach to a Predator sequel. Um, I think that they needed some consistency in their world that they were creating here. There were some things that were weirdly not lining up in the, their approach to how they told the story. and
4: Like, what, what kind of things?
1: <clears throat> well, they uh, approach the tribe like uh, they speak very, very modern English. Obviously, that's not what they would be speaking at the time, but but for the sake of us, they do that. But for French trackers, they speak this rugged, weird, broken, ridiculous language that doesn't really mean anything. And uh, uh, it just seems like, within the, the scope of the world, why not? Everybody speaks English. Just, that's what we're doing, right? Uh, or, I don't know, subtitles.
4: So I, I kind of got... Sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting. There's a Skype lag, so if I'm interrupting you, uh, it's not, not just because I'm being a dick about it. I still um, love you. I thought they were doing it Hunt for Red October style, where... Uh, You know, it's all in English with the idea that this is supposed to be in various languages and then like the francophone accent just tipping us off that it's, you know, it's a different language.
1: But as an English speaking audience, we know that they're French. That's right. Uh, it's it's just I had a hard time even understanding the trappers. It was like they were giving the trappers the treatment that traditionally the native tribes would have been given in old cowboy movies, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's just funny because they have this very authentic but but modernized version of the Comanche tribe, but they didn't even attempt that with the French trappers. They're just there to be killed and be villains anyway. Like we were not we didn't care about them. We weren't supposed to care about them. It's just a consistency in the world. And again, that's a small beef. The bigger beef is the CGI when it comes to animals.
4: Yeah, that was one of my notes. Those fucking CGI bear. (laughs) You you don't need it. And also, I think I said this in our our crocodiles episode. Animals aren't really monsters. Like, they can be scary and they can kill people. But when you turn them into CGI monsters, I find it boots me out a little bit.
1: As a Canadian, I've seen deer. I've seen them run when they're scared. I know what they look like, and the CGI deer didn't convince me at all. And, you know, mm-hmm. the the bear scene, I, I mean, I wasn't fooled by it, but it bothered me less. Like, the idea of a predator fighting a grizzly bear was awesome by
4: itself.
3: <laughs> no, that, that was pretty cool. But
4: And who knows, like, budget stuff or whatever. There must have been some ways to do it, like an in-camera style that is using some combination of a real bear uh like there was a lou diamond phillips movie from the 90s i think the late 90s where he played an inuit and he got attacked by a bear in his igloo and just like the the cuts and the combination of a real bear and like puppet claws it worked reasonably yeah. well
1: but they went full bore cgi and it's weird because the cgi and the predator is really good for the most part and all the effects that way but the specifically to the animals I wasn't sold on it, and that's the first time in the entire Predator franchise that the effects were poor enough that I, I had to sort of, like, fill in the blanks, you know, uh, my, myself. And that's that is a strike against the movie. But other than that, I confess that I mostly had a good time with it. I mean, it is certainly not amazing, it's not like the original Predator, but it's much closer to what I thought... And imagine if I had a good Predator sequel, could and should be, than they've been hitting for the last couple swings.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, actually, I liked the movie throughout. Uh, I didn't, I never, like, it didn't leave a huge impression on me, but I was never really looking at the clock. Um, you know, the CGI kicked me out. Um, I, I would have preferred to have some idea how many trappers there were or what their agenda was, because... It seemed like there were either dozens of them or hundreds of them. And, like, if they were, how would they, they seem to be tracking the Predator, right? But, like, how would they know about it?
1: Yeah, and that whole side of the conversation, again, we don't clearly get. And that's definitely a choice. But we understand everything that the Comanche are saying. And for some reason, we don't get to understand everything that the Frenchies are saying. And, again, they have in that Mm -hmm. weird, staggered, not-quite-real-French I don't speak French, but I know enough to know that it didn't really sound <laughs> right.
4: Well, here's another thing: if if our point of view is to be with the Comanches, maybe again the presumed English-speaking audience, it makes sense that you know this group of alien individuals, i.e., the French, um, can't be understood, right. right? Like we're getting a sense of of our
1: protagonist not understanding right so we're just sharing uh, her perspective and uh that's the by her i mean our main character whose name i just uh uh, naru played by amber mid thunder uh she wants to prove herself a warrior to the tribe and this big rite of passage to prove yourself a warrior is to be able to uh hunt an animal that is capable of hunting you. And she's trying to convince the tribe that there's something new on the blog, something else is out there, and um, of course this is the predator. And again, we, like I said at the beginning, we sort of see her perspective trying to prove herself a warrior, and this predator here obviously trying to collect trophies and prove himself a, a hunter, and their inevitable collision. I found her very easy to cheer for. I really liked her brother. In the entire series of the Predator movies, like, of things that I never thought I'd see, Of somebody shooting the Predator with a bow and arrow, pulling an arrow out of the Predator, and then using that same arrow to shoot it again. I mean, there's some great badass moments here, and, like, that all that all definitely works. But... It's weird because it feels, on one hand, completely authentic, but then it's, like I say, got that modern hip energy to it that is, you know, sort of tips its hand openly, that it's it, it sort of has its cake and eats it too that way.
4: Yeah, I, I quite liked her as a protagonist. Um, I, one of the notes that I have, um, well, there's a couple of notes that I have. One, um, I thought it was pretty well foreshadowed without it getting annoying about that kind of herb lowering the blood of that one warrior that had been hurt it's going to make him cold but he's yeah. going to survive it wasn't it wasn't like a cheap payoff later I, I thought that was and just generally i really liked how often she failed at things so by the time she became a badass towards the end it's like oh we saw her try this and it failed and then she learned from it okay like it's it, um, for the most part, I thought they developed her skills really well. Um, I do think she did a little bit too much gymnastic flipping towards the end. That reminded me a little bit of the second Jurassic Park movie in an irritating way, but I I would let that go.
1: I I will go with you for the cooling of the blood thing, but I think she figures out the helmet thing really quickly, too. Like, uh, it actually, I watched it twice, and the second time I kind of got how she'd figured out the helmet. The first time I watched the movie, I was like, what, how did she know what, how did that happen? (laughs) Um, But
4: You know, what they could have done,
1: Oh, sorry. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's just, I, I like the, like, again, I'm not, I'm not hating the movie. It's not like a big knock against it, but, um, it, it's weird. Cause on one hand it seems spoon fed, but on the other hand, it wasn't entirely clear how she understood how that helmet was going to fire when it did.
4: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'd need to watch it again. I was reasonably, I mean, a lot of it is suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Um, I was prepared to go with it. It wasn't like, at least there was some gesture to set it up. Uh, I, I think you're right. If they maybe relegated the French trappers to like a 15 minute vignette, as opposed to spending so much time with them, we could have seen a little bit more of that development. Right. But I don't know, like in, in this era of MCU movies, or <laughs> The Last Jedi, which was or Rise of Skywalker, that was the last one we did, where it's like every scene is thirty five seconds long and then it cuts to something completely different. In in this era her taking time to learn the helmet was was like, you know, a good fellow's tracking shot.
1: It's true. And look, what we didn't get in the development of the French characters, they made up for, in French, being slaughtered by this predator in really creative and grisly ways. And, like, that's honestly what we're here for more than the character development. I just thought there should be some, right? <laughs> Maybe some.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do have a note. I I can't remember exactly what this is referring to, so maybe you can help me out. Uh, I've written down how stupid are they? Uh, parenthesis the R E Death Razors. I think he was throwing Death Razors that they weren't running away from enough. <laughs> but then there was a long shot where it was like panned away from the fight, and we just got a long shot, and you could see the trees falling down. Yeah, implied that. the, death razors went through them in the trees which i i like the tree shot quite a lot uh, i think the, the trappers should have probably run away
1: <laughs> well and again design things they seem to bring the predator down to a more base creature thing and his head is much bigger than we've seen before and i know that the predator lore is that they've been developing and uh modifying themselves to make them better warriors and hunters that's sort of how they do and I guess this was that iteration this many generations back but it's a much more bestial predator like (laughs) I don't know this this amusing uh, image I have of like a predator back home after a hunt looking at all his human skulls on the wall sitting on an armchair smoking a cigar (laughs) you know <clears throat> this this predator wouldn't be that way to me. <laughs> this predator seems like a yeah. monster a little bit more than we've had in the past. And I don't know if that's a conscious change of the movie of like this being an early version of the predator or if that them just not paying particular attention to the lore.
4: Yeah, it's hard to say. Um it did seem more monstrous. Uh another one of my notes was that its code of honor didn't seem particularly robust. <laughs> um you know, like If it if it's going to the future in Los Angeles in in the second one or like the middle of the jungle fighting commandos that's one thing but like a teenage girl with a bow and arrow that's like considering a porcupine a deadly prey you know or like the the Frenchman with their muskets they just have no choice no chance
1: that wolf or coyote that he kills at the beginning is not like a threat to him in any way at all (laughs) he's just a hunter yeah he
4: could be just like collecting spiders yeah (laughs) his only rule is it can kill other things
1: yeah yeah that's true spiders are one of the most notorious if that's what the measure you're you're putting on it (laughs) but it's not as badass to have a predator fly through space you know and uh, she's a very different choice than arnold schwarzenegger or, or adrian brody or danny glover you know like uh as a protagonist um like you said, she failed enough that we were like, oh, God, she needs a win. We want a win for her. (laughs) And uh, that element of the movie absolutely works. And I really did dig, especially the first time the the tribe encountered the Predator, it was a one-way meeting, but it was a weirdly, like, I don't know, from reading the old Predator comics and being a fan of Predator, it just seems like this was a scene that Predator fans had earned. (laughs) And... I, you know, you feel bad for these brave warriors facing down this evil that they don't comprehend at all, and they don't have a chance again. But that whole sequence is just really good, and it establishes the predator not seeing her as a threat, which I think is one of the fatal uh, mistakes that the predator makes in the the in the whole movie. Like uh, he sees she he sees her running away from the bear. He sees her getting taken captive by these other. Uh, Guys, she's always sort of in a down position, so he doesn't take her seriously. (laughs) Whoops.
4: Yeah. Uh, Other things I like, this isn't related to that, but that scene where she was in the bog sinking, that was one of my favorite scenes. It had nothing to do with the Predator, but I think it was the most tense scene for me. I mean, like, you know she's going to get out, but still, like, just viscerally sinking in that bog really got me.
1: And it was a setup for something that she was going to incorporate later on, right? so it wasn't just yeah, a random yeah, the got, got stuck in the same bog that's right but it wasn't it, it was a good scene and it wasn't necessarily just a random scene of peril to add tension into the movie it actually like she <clears throat> she's really good at picking stuff up and then using it again later on
4: yeah um, this is related to that but when you were watching it were you getting like weird Aubrey Plaza vibes from her I just could not see our protagonist not as Aubrey Plaza.
1: <laughs> well, she's not Aubrey Plaza. I, didn't, I I guess honestly, I did not. That didn't uh, occur to me. But um, no, I I
4: could be crazy.
3: <laughs>
1: probably. <you know. laughs> but hey, like the uh, I like Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> um, I, I I like the whole Do approach. It. I think they could make a series of these. They don't have to necessarily stay with the same characters, just jump ahead a few, you know, decades, and then there's another Predator visit. Like, I can really see them actually opening up the franchise in a new and interesting way here.
4: Yeah, they can stop doing soft reboots, and they can stop making Predators fight aliens. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, like, you've got every single culture to work with every single time in history. You can have Predator versus Samurai, Predator versus World
3: War I. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, like, I like this door that they're kicking down. And the same sort of group, apparently, the new Alien movie is a, a similar thing. Uh, it's within the same Alien universe, but not directly attached to any Alien movie we've seen. It sounds like it's going to be people who are stranded on a planet and encounter some aliens and fight them, type of, like, downed basics. What did people want to see when they see these movies? And I think Prey is yeah, mostly I, successful. I think
4: yeah my sorry um skype interruption again um i think predator if they do this has more to work with than alien i, I think there's a reason why there haven't been really any good aliens since the second one like they keep trying that franchise but the problem is we've seen them as horror movie monsters and we've seen marines fight them and like i don't know what's that superheroes maybe but like we've seen the same plot over and over whereas with predator you could I may become kind of samey if they just keep fighting predator throughout history, but it feels like more expansive, um, there's more potential for it to be an expansive universe.
1: Well, and we've already seen how, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all his band of you know, testosterone-bathed badasses got their clock completely cleaned. And now, like, how would, like you say, a samurai or a cowboy deal with that when, like, they are way 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 outbalanced by the technology and by like the knowledge base that it would take to face off against this kind of an enemy
4: yeah i mean i guess how would a 18th century Comanche find a way to do it in the plot but maybe you're right maybe it would get a little bit tired but i i don't know i just like the idea of different worlds or different historical periods
1: well, and this guy, Trachtenberg, who directed it, this is the second sequel he did. He did the sequel to Cloverfield, 12 Cloverfield Lane, which uh, almost has nothing to do with Cloverfield, but is by itself a really good thriller. <laughs> so.
4: Well, yeah, it was supposed to be... I haven't seen it, but my understanding is it was supposed to be a different... Like, it just its own it's standalone thing, but then they slapped the Clutterfield brand on
1: it. They retrofitted it into a sequel and added a little sequence at the end, but that's not what the movie's about. The movie is, yeah, the, totally decent. But I like the, it's just interesting, because those are two different franchises that he played in, and he's done very different things both times, but still made really solid entries. Again, I just wish they had a little bit better budget for their CGI or used some re- more real animals like cuz there was a lot of it, CGI deer, CGI cougar, CGI wolf, CGI snake like and uh, only and the it's not predators hard to get footage of
4: these animals.
1: No. Like and the predator looked great. Most of the predator CGI was fine. So it was like I don't know. I don't know. I grew up watching real animals on in movies and TV. So uh, maybe my eye is harder if, on
3: it.
4: If the Hinterlands Who's Who can get <laughs> shots of animals, surely a Predator movie can
1: <laughs> That's the crossover that we need. Hinterlands Who's Who on the Predator. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. It's
4: like Predator versus a bear. <laughs> it just have it be a 20-minute fight. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we're mostly agreed. We liked it. It was positive, uh, not perfect.
4: Yeah, I would give it... like It's a right B range. Uh, I think the... First thing I started this conversation with was that I, I was glad I went back to my notes because I didn't have strong memories of it. But going back to my notes, like yeah, most of it's pretty positive.
1: Yeah, no, I liked it, and like I'm forgiving. I called out the flaws that I saw, but I enjoyed it. I will watch the movie again. I'm sure I'll watch it with my boys at some point. Like uh, it's it does deliver the goods that I want from a predator movie.
5: <laughs> they said they know where the hogs are. Let's
3: do
4: it to it.
0: He gets
5: in close.
0: I want to see that big pig bleed. Right you think we came out here to hunt hogs? You killed my brother. My family's gonna make you pay.
5: Jake went to get his clan. We've got to get out of here fast.
1: Once upon a time Rayleigh Perkins and I did this episode of RNr on creatures and uh, we were gonna do this movie Pig Hunt, but she couldn't get her hands to it. and she got all worked up and excited about Pig Hunt and uh, we ended up doing the I episode was so excited. <laughs> so excited. and we ended up doing the episode without it, but I promised her no one else would review Pig Hunt except for Rayleigh Perkins. <laughs> And this is a double-edged sword because, well, now it's all been built up to you. (laughs) So I was worried uh, that maybe you would be disappointed by the actual reality of Pig Hunt uh, as compared to what you may or may not have built up in your mind. So, Rayleigh, lovely it is to speak with you. What did you think of Pig Hunt, finally? Well, I
0: have to say, I wouldn't actually classify it as a creature movie. Maybe.
1: And so maybe it was good that it wasn't on a creature movie. It wasn't meant to be. That we did together. I mean, there's definitely a creature in the movie. Eventually.
0: Sometimes. Yeah. At that point, yes. <laughs> but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the focal
3: point of the movie baby well i don't
0: know what do you think do you would you classify
1: it as a creature movie well you did because you put it on the creature list the movie classifies itself i think as a creature movie uh it's uh, called pig hunt the cover is this big huge wild boar with blood dripping off of its tusks and yeah, and It opens with a guy being killed by this boar, but we don't see the boar We just sort of see him screaming and, and yelling um, So I would accuse the movie of false advertising This uh, is the movies directed by the same guy who did a, a Canadian made werewolf movie called skinwalkers and cult classic Jason X Jason in space That's right Uh, this was his last movie. And I think in a weird way, his most professional movie, like, uh, well, I think that he, he takes his time with the characters and the actors aren't necessarily bad, but the movie is a strange bunch of peaks and valleys for me. There'll be a scene that really works for me. And then there'll be a scene that either bores me or irritates me. And then there'll be a scene that really works for me. Followed by a scene that's kind of boring, or like finding the characters to latch onto was kind of tricky for this movie, and yeah. the slow crawl of the out of the plot. It takes a full hour of this almost ninety-eight minute movie to for the movie to really kick in plot-wise. It really drags it out to uh, quite a significant degree.
0: Well, and I felt like I was in three. Movies <laughs> like that, there are like kind of three separate ideas happening that eventually merge at the end. But I was like, "What is like?" It took me a long time to be like, "What is even? Who are these people? What is happening?" Well, and look, then when yeah. the friends are all dressed in like the army fatigue clothing, and then like you find out that they actually aren't like in the army at all and i was like I, but they were military what do you mean they're not military like they kind of prepped themselves as these military army guys
1: but they really weren't they were just like dressed in camo basically. yeah they like camouflage they like playing with guns they like being out in the bush i, the I main character
3: was an army guy yes like, the main hero. But
0: the rest of his friends weren't. They just dressed in army gear. And then, so I was just like, I think maybe that's why it took so long to get going. Is it because it was developing like three sort of distinct plot lines throughout the
1: movie. Well, main through plot, this group of friends is going to go boar hunting. Um, and I don't find a lot of them super engaging. Uh, they're, they're a little bit gung-ho. They're a little bit, it's fairly stock character country here. Um, but uh, and you know I'm not into that country vibe and I don't like that they're hazing the girlfriend who's being dragged along or who yeah it just they were very much dickster to the point where like I was having trouble like this is the group we're supposed to be cheering for because then we have these hayseed characters including Les Claypool of Primus who also contributed to the soundtrack of this movie Um, makes, makes sense and they're these like proud hill folk it's not that they feel like uh, these city folks think that they're better than they are. It's that they think that they're better than the city folks. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have, I think, the least convincing and the worst acted wing of the film, the cultists living in the woods. Yeah, they, they have a big weed field out there in the woods and they, <laughs> uh, uh, they are giving sacrifices to this giant boar and um, yeah the, the sort of lead villain of that group and a lot of the girls I, I don't know I thought, I thought the execution was weak as it so often is with cults it's just a hard thing to sell realistically and this is so extravagantly odd that it was just hard to take seriously and yet with all of these weird pieces the movie is very straight faced like it's, it's, it's not a goofy horror movie they're trying to get under your skin laugh a lot except I was
0: laughing at the absurdity but I wasn't supposed to be laughing it wasn't slapsticky
1: but it's weirdly watchable right? I enjoyed it (laughs) like
0: like I again I always and we've talked like I've talked about this in your podcast before I often will be like who can I recommend this movie to? And I, there there wasn't someone that I was like, I know, just the person who would want to watch this movie. But, like, I found it oddly intriguing. Like, I wanted to watch. I, I wasn't bored. I wasn't, like, on the edge of my seat or anything, but I kept wanting to figure out what was going on and how these characters were all going to come together. And then... Some of the hillbilly scenes with the had like a real like Mad Max feel
3: to them
0: with motorbikes. I mean, low budget Mad Max, but still Mad Max, you know. And I found those scenes really fun, like just like I don't know, like fun to watch. But I, I, I didn't hate the movie. I just it wasn't a creature movie,
3: which is what I was going in.
1: That's right false advertising and i did call that out at the uh, at the start of this and i I definitely do believe it to be guilty of that but it's strangely well considered at times like this is why i think like it's his best made movie early in the movie they find this baby deer carcass in the woods and and they all sort of gather around it and they have this top-down shot as they like first look at it and then walk away and it's just this lonely carcass in the woods later in the movie when uh Arguably, one of the only truly likable characters of the group, the innocent of the group, is uh, is is murdered by the hillbillies. They repeat that shot again. They're all huddled around his body, and they all back away, and they do this top down shot of our character. And I wasn't devastated by the moment necessarily, but it was handled really well. <laughs> and like with the dog, like I was very upset. Oh yeah, of course the dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> The horror movies always have to mess with the dog. And always. there are times where even the weakened areas of it sort of charm me. At the very beginning, we see this guy get killed by a pig. Well, we don't. We see him reacting to being mauled by this pig and then blood slowly dripping onto the screen. And I smiled and I'm like, they don't have the budget to show us the boar yet. So this is just a tactic to get us into the movie. These are- so I was on their side. And then the scene's immediately followed by these two ridiculous hippie cult chicks riding uh, together on a horse. Like, not prepared for, like, being in the forest at all. Like, nothing real about this scene. And so I laughed. But I was also sort of charmed by the goofiness of that as well. <laughs> like, uh, I was cheering for the movie, I guess. On some level, I, because I wanted the movie to be good, it, lots of it worked for me I think my big complaint is as I've said it takes too long to really get going and um, like I think they should have leaned into the crazy and leaned into the maybe the funny a little bit I do think that the cult is absurd I do think the hillbilly hill folk people are absurd and I think that we could have at least laughed at our characters if they were making some kind of statement about their shitty behavior but everything is played so straight that it, it sort of sucks a little bit of the fun that, that could be there and even at the
0: gas station when they have the first confrontation with the lead cult guy. Yeah. And, like, it was just... The, the scene didn't do what it needed to do. It just felt, like, awkward. Like, there was definitely, like, they were trying to set up this tension and weirdness between the groups. And it was there, but, like, they could have developed that scene so much more. And then it just, like, ended and you were like, what the hell? what the hell so they kept saying through the whole thing what the hell is going on here who are these people like what is happening um I did really love though that the the one friend who's like not a hunter at all who's the owner of the dog yeah I like most sympathized with him
3: yeah
0: <laughs> he was like and then when he runs on he goes I think I saw some mushrooms back I think there were chanterelles back there I was like <laughs> That would be me. I would be on this like wild boar hunt with these like violent people. Be like, I think I saw some light on this tree back here. I'm gonna go check it out. Like, please,
3: please. <laughs> but make some
0: nice coffee over the fire. Like that would totally be me in, the, in, in, the, in
1: this movie. No, they definitely try to make us sympathetic with that character. So like, like they really set up the devastating moment that I was talking about. He actually. <laughs> He tries not to be too judgmental of the hill folk and he does offer them coffee and he is at least attempting to be warm with them. Yes. Yeah, Um, but yeah, we have the culture clash between those two groups, which uh, leads to uh, a a death, which uh, leads to a blood vengeance for the hill folk to be chasing them down. And then they run into the cult and then finally, finally... We get this giant pig. And there's a couple of shots where we see it full-on big, but for the most part, it's close-up of the maw of this thing. Like, it's it's a lot of setup to this, I think, decent enough payoff. Like, I'm not saying that I didn't get my money's worth, but I don't know. Maybe that the, they needed a different title or a different take or a different something, like... Yeah, for a movie called Pig Hunt, there needs to be a lot more of... Going on. Yeah. not People hunting and like other people, you know. But it gets suitably gory and by that point, and uh, a couple of characters who you know we've at least been following for a long time. It's not a quick thing; like they're badly mauled and then like left to sort of drip for a while, and then the boar comes back to feed some more. It's it's not it's not a good it's not a good thing that that we're bearing witness to. And it's weirdly like, it's been violent before this point, but we had like a strangely bloodless decapitation scene, and we had like, uh, we had little bursts of violence, but like the real viscera they uh, saved for the big climax.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that scene in the like arena or whatever you want to call it at the cult, yeah. it was a good scene with everybody kind of watching, and then they were, tra- you know, like, who was gonna die, you kind of didn't know, like, I was. I don't want to say tense, but I was like apprehensive about how it was all going to play out at the end when it finally got to that point.
1: Well, and successful pig hunt, I guess, at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, would watch again, you know? Um, I am glad that you, that
0: we stuck to it and we kept putting this on and putting it on and I was busy and you were busy and we finally... It. Yeah. I'm really glad to, have to talk about the movie and watch it, because I don't know if I would have had the opportunity
1: otherwise. True that. And I certainly don't want to necessarily oversell it. Like, for every really strong scene, there's a kind of blah scene or even a kind of a bad scene. But the movie has this weird workable charm to it and uh, I do think that it more succeeds than fails but I I, I don't want to oversell it we were excited for a different movie but instead of rejecting the movie that we got we accepted the movie that we got because we're disciplined film critics (laughs) very (laughs) is there anything else you'd like to say about Pig Hunt? nope just glad I
3: got the opportunity
1: to finally talk about it yeah uh it it opened with an m ward song i'm a big m ward fan so uh that that warmed me to it i don't know why i felt the need to, to to shout that out but i did it's too late to change it now um um yeah i mean i think it's a specific meal but for those of you who this sounds interesting check it out if you can find it because it seems to have vanished off the face of the planet
6: This is harder, Sally? I'm
5: afraid your old friend's back.
3: Fifty years I've been waiting for this night. Just to see him again. Who? Leatherface. Like a tear that he wants. I'm not gonna let him kill you. Fear no evil. Fear no evil. Ah!
6: Try anything and you cancel, bro. Oh fuck. Yeah.
1: Okay, before I start, fuck you, Netflix. (laughs) Wow! At the risk of being a broken record, as a collector, as someone who's loved movies, Netflix really has burned me. I spent a whole episode of one of my Bunker episodes bitching about this, but you and I own every single Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And we can't... we can't have a nice physical copy of this as far as i was looking around on the internet there's still no announcement or no uh, thing Nothing saying that netflix will release it doesn't mean that they won't they released the third cloverfield movie because enough people bitched about it on dvd and they did release um the the irishman the martin scorsese movie on criterion so if you want to pay 40 bucks for one of scorsese's most disappointing movies you can do that but A lot of great horror movies are being hostaged by Netflix. The new Gerald's Game, a lot of these great Stephen King adaptations, and the newest Coen Brothers movie, you know, is locked into the world of Netflix. You guys made your fortune off of collectors like Scott and myself renting and buying physical movies, so fuck you for denying us this. Now let's talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre's exclusive to Netflix release for 2022. Uh, Did I seem a little hostile? (laughs) I'm trying not to take it out on the movie. Uh, It's directed by David Blue Garcia, uh, but more interesting and exciting to me is that it's co-written by Fede Alvarez, the gentleman who uh, directed the Evil Dead remake and uh, Don't Breathe, two just fantastic horror movies. And, agreed. Agreed. Like, did Texas Chainsaw Massacre need another sequel? Probably not. But we could have said that after, you know, the f- leather, the first yeah. Leatherface movie, right? Um, this, it, we're just living in a world where inevitably, sooner or later, there will be another Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So why not try and make it a good one? The premise here is uh, very now, it's a very 2022 movie, a bunch of very spoiled, very indulgent and presumptuous kids, basically uh, who are internet phenomenons, have bought up this old southern town and are coming here to take over it, and are very condescending and dismissive of all the yokels about. And in this day and age particularly, the whole red state versus blue state divide being as rich as ever. You'd think that there'd be some pretty satirical beats that they could play into here. But basically, they give us all the reason in the world to dislike this group of survivors that we're introduced to. And then they give us all the reason in the world to hate the rednecks in this, this town as well. And then we watch both sides basically get killed by Leatherface. And I watched it the first time, pretty dispassionately, kind of disappointed, and moi. But we're going to review it for the podcast. I decided I was going to give it another day in court and try and just clear my first memory of it. And I do confess, I found a lot more to like upon second viewing of the movie than I did on the first. But that has everything to do with the execution of the violence and the energy in the movie. And That's absolutely cool. yeah. nothing to do with the screenplay of the movie. I think the cinematographer and the the direction of the violence in the movie is amazing. I think the screenplay no, top is... Top, top. Yeah. The screenplay is hot garbage. The screenplay is bad. But the way the violence is handled is not. In fact, I prefer the way the violence is handled in this movie to, like, even even good Texas Chainsaw movies like uh, the, the Beginning... They're just so fixated on the torment and the suffering and the humiliation that it takes away from the enjoyment and, for lack of a better word, the fun value of these types of movies. And some of the kills in this movie, particularly a sequence on a bus, are so much fun that I can't dismiss the movie. The movie tries really hard to shake you off. Like, I think it almost dares you to keep watching at some points. But when Leatherface shows up, you get your money's worth. That's, my, yeah. that's sort of where it is. I'm like right down the middle on it overall, but there's some amazing scenes in it, and there are some terrible scenes in it. And it kind of ends up being somewhere in the middle as a result. That's where I start on TCF. Yeah,
5: no, that's, that's fair. Um, and I think overall the, the great scenes probably outweigh the negative negative ones when you're looking at it as a whole uh I, I think i've said before as a texas chainsaw massacre actually i like to refer to it as the netflix chainsaw massacre just to uh you know separate what they distinguished. are distinguished because now i think we've got four movies now called the texas chainsaw massacre so so this one will be the netflix chainsaw massacre uh yeah it's uh, as a chainsaw massacre movie it's all right if I we did a whole rank of the franchise, and if I had to do it again, including this movie in there, I, I think it'd be in the middle, no worse than fifth. I think. Right. Uh, and some some people really disliked this movie. Some enjoyed it. Um, but we have to remember, you know, was was next generation really that good or, or yeah no we Also you know art 3 was not a masterpiece uh, I might put this at number 4 no worse no. than number 5 this overall. franchise
1: has well shit the bed before this point this is not the movie that ruins the entire franchise it's not like that it's sort of again my, my uh, expectations went a little bit up when I heard some of the creative involvement in it so that might have hurt yeah. me a little
5: yeah I've read a, that, that's right Fetty is a good name to attach to it and uh so that's where it lands as an entry in the franchise, as just a slasher movie, as an eighty-four-minute slasher movie. It's quite good if you're just going to watch it for those reasons. Um, you know, is it a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie? Well, there is a chainsaw massacre involved, yep. and uh, you know it's not filmed in Texas, but <laughs> it takes place in Texas. Uh, you know, it, it's weird because I. It, Right off the bat, it got me against it a little bit. I mean, even uh, you can open up Netflix, open up the queue and uh, start the movie. The description there says they've got the clicks and the likes and the live streams. These influencers are no match against the tattered face of madness. It's like, I don't like the movie already. Yeah, (laughs) no thanks. (laughs) This sounds like something I would totally skip if it had a different title. But... uh, I gave it a chance and uh, there's some issues with it because they try and uh, you know it starts off of course with John Laette doing the narration and, and Thank I feel you. like they feel like uh, <laughs> they've already got a good movie because we got John Laquette doing the intro unique that's not enough it's cool to have that continuity of him doing the voiceover but um, it's that's not gonna make your movie make sure you have more than that have characters we care about um, that we don't want to see killed in this one I think we're fine with seeing these people get slaughtered on the bus when we see ten plus people getting killed on that bus we're kind of like clapping and enjoying it and <laughs> kind of having a little bit of fun it's like holy shit this I'm is I'm not crazy.
1: on his side but these people are so vapid and so empty that when a guy wearing a human face over top of his enter the bus the first thing they can think to do is start filming him with their fucking phones, right?
5: And, and saying, you're going to get cancelled, bro. <laughs> no, you guys are I... all
1: about to be cancelled by a chainsaw. <clears throat> and, and I get it, I saw... and that worked. It did. Like, and uh, both sides of that argument, there's no winners there. We don't really like the, the hayseed, redneck town, but we really hate these like young, dumb, internet, presumptuous pricks. But here's the thing as a fan, I guess the, the nerdy fanboy is going to rear his ugly head. What did you think of them involving Sally Hardesty?
5: Yeah, Sally Hardesty was, uh, I don't know if this was influenced by Halloween's, uh, you know, the 2018 it Halloween, Halloween Kills. It, it had to be. Because it had be. a very much everything but her chanting, evil dies tonight. Yeah, <laughs> It was, uh, she was the Jamie Lee Curtis that they tried to bring back the legacy character and... She's going to be the one that finally puts him down. Um, yeah, that... And she felt kind of shoehorned in. Like, we didn't need her there. It seemed like they it was in an afterthought almost. Like, let's get her in here. That um, is the biggest fuck, fuck
1: you of the movie to the fans, I think. Personally, as somebody who's watched all of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies multiple times, first of all, if you're going to bring back the legacy character, you want to bring back the actress. Now, I realize that the actress had died, okay? Well, that being the case don't fucking do it and if you are gonna do it th- this is how you're gonna use the character she has a, a, a stare down with the with Leatherface and they seem to recognize each other and he doesn't kill her he opts not to kill her he walks away she re-engages and it costs her life in a dramatic way and now Sally is no longer the hero these fucking loser internet obsessed you know youtube channel dicks are our heroes and um like i think the redemption of the movie is there's a i'm gonna jump to the end of the movie i know this is a 2022 movie so if you haven't seen it big spoilers coming up for the netflix texas chainsaw (laughs) massacre the two sisters are about to get out of town in the very last frames of the movie. And Leatherface charges the car and pulls out, basically, who's been our main protagonist. Pulls her out of the car and cuts her head off. Full frame as we see it go down. And her sister is screaming hysterical in the car. He starts doing his dance with the chainsaw on the head. Abrupt cut to credits. Man, did I like that ending. <laughs> Not for the reasons that they yeah. think that they expected, and that it's just like the original. It ends in a high point of energy and horror and trauma, and oh my god, it doesn't feel completely played out. Is everybody safe? No. I liked it that they finally killed that character. I disliked her that much.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and she was like the the nicest character in the movie, wasn't? It? Like she didn't, she had a heart and didn't want to hurt anybody. Uh, she didn't want to kick anyone out of their homes, I guess, but uh so but that, they it did it caught me a little off guard too.
1: They did, but they did put themselves in the situation. It's the classic situation where like they do everything wrong, and they put themselves into the trap, they trigger the trap, and then they're like, "Oh my God, we're in a trap like you created the scenario you put everybody here now i know there was a miscommunication about the property they owned everything except for the house that leatherface was in and that's really like a stupid miscommunication like they tried to sort of fudge over it but really these kids were presumptuous and dickish not that they deserved death but like i found it (laughs) puzzling that these were our protagonists that we were supposed to relate to slash cheer for them so it wasn't Maybe I overstated saying that I'm celebrating her, dead, her death, but I was not devastated by her death. I wasn't like, oh, no, right?
5: <laughs> yeah, it, it caught me off guard, and uh, it, it seemed ballsy, too. And uh, and it stung a little bit, just the, the brutality and the way it was done. Uh, and that's what we kind of need in those movies. And I, I, liked, I liked the way it ended.
1: And I hate Uh, going back. I'm sorry,
5: go ahead. I I just wanted to touch on uh, Sally Hardesty a bit. Just going back because you brought it up. uh, And again, my comparisons to the rebooted sequels to Halloween. Right. uh, And just seeing how we last left Sally in 1974. She was on the back of that pickup truck, being in complete hysterics. Yeah. As she couldn't put a thought together, she was laughing, right? She was screaming, and her screams turned into laughter. There is no way. I don't think that she ever recovers from that, let alone become a sheriff. Yeah. And uh, there, I mean, Lori Strode had half the ordeal that Sally went through in the 1978 Halloween. And a lifetime and, of uh, PTSD. And she, that's right. And I, I just think comparing the two because they're kind of similar in in that fashion where they brought that character back to finally kill evil. Uh, I just think that hey, when we meet her again, she would still be Damaged. not able to put sentences together. So that part, I thought, seemed a little bit uh, an unlikely course for that character to take. And uh, the other thing we talked about was, on the bus, the guys picking up their cell phones say, try anything and you're cancelled, bro. Yeah. When I saw the trailer for this movie, I hated that. I almost didn't want to watch it for that line because I thought, this is probably going to be the worst line in the franchise, and that's going to top Do Your Thing Cuz oh. from uh, the 3D chainsaw. and But because of the carnage that ensued after, I forgave it. Yeah. Because it became something beautiful, and Do Your Thing Cuz is still the worst line in the franchise.
1: And look, I've been pretty and talking about the stuff that I liked, and I really didn't like the salad hardesty, and I really didn't like how we didn't have a lot of likability to our protagonists. But... There's a scene in this movie where Leatherface breaks a dude's arm, and then he uses the shattered bone in the guy's oh. arm to stab him in the yes. fucking face, in the neck. Like, holy shit, <laughs> Like, that, that whole sequence fish. when he escapes from the ambulance, and like, that was amazing. That was a really good Texas Chainsaw sequence in the middle of a so-so Texas Chainsaw movie. And I wanted a lot more of that, for sure. <laughs>
5: that's true that that first, that was the first kill too yeah and he does it without a weapon in his hands he he uses his wrist bone as the weapon and it catches you a little bit off guard because you think what's he going to do he's got no chainsaw he needs a chainsaw <laughs> uh and he just breaks the guy's wrist and and that is brutal and the scene that shortly after where he's cutting off his mother's face and deciding all right i'm doing this now uh that whole sequence was well well shot and uh and looked good
1: and the crash itself yeah, yeah. it was brutal but here's one again one thing
5: I wonder oh sorry sorry go
1: ahead <laughs> one of the other problems and again I don't want to be the Star Trek nerd that's saying that's fake but yeah. as far as I know this movie is set in 2022 okay so Leatherface best case scenario is well into his 70s and I just don't know how credible that is.
5: that is that's fair yeah
1: like, it's and not that we don't it, 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 want worse. Leatherface to be in the movie, but it sort of feels like either we need a new Leatherface, or we needed to set this, like, in the 80s or 90s or something, you know?
5: Yeah, and if they're doing a direct sequel, what happened then to the rest of the family, too? Right. Because that's part of what made the first one kind of scary to me, is it it was this family that worked together, and Leatherface was kind of, you know, this uh, the kid, I guess, that was kind of beaten a bit, and said, you go and... I don't know if he knew what he was doing, even he wasn't, you know, mentally all there. But you'd but, still uh, think you know, he'd have to have been we... in
1: his twenties at least in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, eh?
5: Yeah. And, and when we left that movie, the cook was still alive. Yeah. And and where's Grandpa? I'm always obsessed with grandpa. <laughs> Grandpa's <especially> still alive
1: <laughs> somewhere. He's in a closet just chilling.
5: <laughs> but I was wondering, you know, like how did he end up at the orphanage? I'm not sure. Really, that made, made sense, I guess. Or was the, was the orphanage lady part of the family? Because she did say that line. If I knew someone was coming, I'd put my face on. <sighs> but uh, she also, you know, when she was dying, she told Leatherface to stay out of my room, stay out of my room before she died, and that's where she had his chainsaw, you know, inside the wall. And um, but I think, uh, I mean, it's an hour and fourteen minutes before the credits roll. <laughs> yeah, it's so, quick. If, if you want to watch a slasher movie that gets shit done in a short time, uh, you're going to get it done here. It doesn't really have that gritty Texas Chainsaw Massacre feel, but I don't think they could redo that ever again. The 2003 remake, I think, came close in trying to redo that, but uh, uh, at, at times this one felt like it could be any slasher. It didn't need to be a, a leather face, but...
1: But, like I say, I love how the violence was handled, and I recommend the movie for the sequences where it really, really works. But I would not lie to anybody. There are a few things that are going to sting while you're watching it. For me, particularly, Sally Hardesty, and just the wall-to-wall lack of interest or likability in most of the characters. It's just, give us something to hang on to other than the violence. But, to be fair, they do the violence very well. (laughs)
5: And it, like that one guy that gets his head repeatedly oh. hit with that sledgehammer.
1: That's a great marriage brutal. of both practical and CGI. This is how it's done, right? <laughs> because yeah. uh, they use practical blood and spatter effects, but they obviously use the CGI to make his head change shape entirely. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh. oh.
5: So, so, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I don't know. It's a tough movie to review because yep. it's it's a slasher movie that's part of a, a long-running franchise that's had its ups and downs and uh, I mean it's not the highest point, but it is far from the worst in this in, in this franchise and it's one that uh, I wish I could put on a shelf and complete this collection uh, because I, I do enjoy it the second time I watched it yeah I enjoyed it more knowing that uh, these pricks are gonna get killed yeah the,
1: And uh, to finish where I started, as far as Netflix goes, I am no longer subscribed to Netflix as of this moment, and uh, there is apparently going to be more Texas Chainsaw Massacres, but I have a friend who can uh, acquire the movies for me online. I will continue to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I will not continue to support Netflix. You dicks. See,
5: I'm happy at least they'll still produce stuff like this. Yep. Um, I'm, I, but although if they didn't I'm sure someone else would that's I true guess that's the key so uh, I, I don't know I don't know where to stand on it uh, <laughs> as a collector I see your point but uh,
1: part of me says yeah Larry grow up I mean I'm this, this, this guy who says why is everybody driving cars I'm perfectly happy riding a horse <laughs> and I need to just <laughs> let go but uh, I don't know like I said Netflix made their fortune with rentals and selling Selling and renting physical medium. That's how they made their fortune. And now they deny the collectors. They actively deny the collectors. And I just will never understand it. There's money to be made there. (laughs) I will pay $15 for a DVD copy of a movie that I could watch for free on Netflix because I'm a collector. And they're saying, no, Larry, we don't want your money. Go fuck yourself. And I don't
5: appreciate <laughs> and you say please can you, please can you take my money? Yes. Please. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. I don't,
1: I don't even love problem. the movie. I'm like right down the middle of the road, but I have every other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, and now I can't have this one. And yes, it pisses me off. Is it mature? Is it sane? Probably it's neither of those things, but I'm telling you that's how I feel. <laughs> Uh, but I think I've run out of things to say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like I said, I'm right down the middle. I love the violence. I hate the script. I think, and uh, it'd, if I was doing the rank, it would probably be somewhere right in the middle. It's nowhere near the bottom, but it's nowhere near the top.
5: Yeah, you're right. I think I agree. Um, well, I've, I've said it already. I, yeah, I agree. Uh, in my older age, I think my reviews are starting to get more simple. As I said to you before, <laughs> when I watch a movie, I just want to immediately say, did I enjoy it? Yeah. And the answer is I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh sometimes that's that's good enough. And then after I'll think about it more and I'll decide, yeah, talk about it in, in detail. Did I like it? I liked it. Did I love it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it did what it should do. Uh, just yeah, I think we've gone over all that. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much, brother.
5: Everybody out of the truck!
2: The National Guard on weekend maneuvers. In 48 hours, they'll be home with their families. There's only one problem. We you back in here. This is our home. They've crossed the boundary into a territory where they don't belong. We ran into some people that are real weird and I think maybe they're trying to kill us. They violated laws they never knew existed. Somebody figure out where the hell we're going to do it, quick. Gotta go east to go north. Tell that damn man. And the farther they go, the closer they get to nowhere. Uh, I'm gonna do it. But I'm gonna fight my way out of here.
1: So I'm a fan of Walter Hill, but I have not seen all of his movies, particularly some of his earlier ones. I'm, I am I appreciate The Warriors, but I guess I don't have the affection for it that a lot of people do, but that was his first big cult hit. And I haven't seen Streets of Fire, but I've seen a lot of his more action-oriented pieces. Extreme Prejudice, 48 Hours, Last Man Standing, sort of that sort of pedigree. And southern comfort definitely fits into his wheelhouse but i have to admit on my first pass of it i i sort of thought of it as kind of a uh, we saw deliverance and want to do it too type of thing um yeah. and then i read the review that uh roger ebert wrote on it and it made me feel stupid honestly <laughs> um okay. i think it's all about context of when a movie comes out this was made in 1981, or it came out in 81, but it was set yeah. in the early 70s. And it's clearly, I guess, about the Vietnam War. I uh, could argue that, yep. So we have a bunch of, like, weekend warrior guys out in the Cajun swamp doing these exercises and trying to be all cool and macho. Yeah. And they come into these Cajun hunter group steal their stuff, rush, wreck their nets, and just fuck with their livelihood. And they end up in this dense forest fighting a bunch of people who are much more familiar with the environment and getting their asses handed to them. It is very much a metaphor for Vietnam. But watching it in 2022, I guess, I, I sort of was so detached from that that I didn't, at least on first pass, think of it that way. Yeah. And after reading that review, so I'll admit that my, my review is a little bit colored by Ebert's review, it seemed so obvious and so on the point that I'm, I was sort of embarrassed. <laughs> okay. uh, that I didn't necessarily tuck into it right away. At first, I was thinking like somewhere in between, you know, First Blood and Deliverance. Okay. But the approach that the movie takes on our heroes is kind of interesting. I suppose the you Peter Coyote. Ca- Sorry? I, I, I say at best anti-heroes, but Ooh, right. okay. The Peter Coyote, the guy who's running in, running the show, seems like he's got a bit of a head on his shoulders, but he's one of the first people to be taken off of the board. He's not the only one, though, but yep. And then there's a couple of the, the Keith Carradine and the Powers Booth who seem to actually have some measure of, like, un, unfettered humanity. They're, they're not just children playing in the woods for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then you have Fred Ward, and it was great slash sad to see the, the late, great Fred Ward here. Yep. And, and some of the other guys who just are asses. They're just idiots. And uh, as the, the situation gets worse and worse, uh, they start falling apart. They don't work together well. They don't know how to keep quiet. They don't know how to keep hid. They don't know how to, you know, keep themselves alive. No, and all yeah, of the yeah. macho bravado that we started with is so slowly disintegrated. That's yep. basically the movie. Yep. You, you,
2: you. Yeah. Like, well, to me, there's like a deep meta-like irony in Walter, Walter Hill's Southern Comfort. You have a bunch of Hollywood actors pretending to be pretending to be characters that are pretending to be
1: soldiers. This isn't even the army. This is like the... National Guard. Uh, state militia. Yeah. Like, these are people that are like our weekend warriors.
2: Um, we know in the opening five minutes, when we see these good old boys firing massive amount of blanks into, into the, the Louisiana grainy brown swamp, that this is not going to go well. <laughs> well, taking like great influence from the classic Deliverance. And, I, and, and just a shout-out, even on the original poster, if you see
1: it. Oh, really? Yeah. By the end of that film... Like these misguided fools will be
2: idiotic thieves and easy prey will be hunted trapped, shot at trees dropped on and just sort of jumped into quicksand and butchered and I I think they deserve all of it he'll <laughs> dismiss this illusion that the film was not an allegory for Vietnam and, and, but you would be amiss if you didn't think of that it is a survival thriller but I think there's a good point that for the Cajuns, they're kind of the heroes. There's an alternate dimension where you follow that story and they're clearly in the writing, that that sort of tense ending in the town where you don't know whether they're being set up or not. do you think that they're being set up by the whole town?
1: I don't think everybody in the town is after them, but I do think that they uh, are behaving as if they've escaped, when clearly, like the chances that these good old boys call this place home are is really good. You know, yeah. sure they spend a lot of their times out in the bayous and swamps, like uh, hunting and camping and doing their things, but they have places where they put their feet up, and they have you know their whole little Cajun culture going on. And yeah, there was, especially the Carradine character was acting like we're safe when clearly they weren't. Like, yeah. him dancing with one of the the girls seemed like you know, all your friends just got shot and killed earlier this afternoon. Yeah. You know, maybe make a phone call. <laughs> you know, uh, honestly that last sequence, I have a few issues it was, and I do have some issues with the movie. Like, I think it's very predictable. Yeah. yeah, And that's, there's some really bad cinematic
2: cliches that Neil does. He'll do like these, these sort of slow motion sequence like uh, He slows down the movie, and that's getting you
1: ready for something really dramatic and violent to happen. Almost and that, and that, that, that annoyed me. Almost every time a major character is killed, we move into slow motion. It made me think of Zack Snyder a little bit, although, like again, it was less common uh, when this was doing, and it was sort of like a, a choice to present the violence and action in a very sort of stylized way and yep. I can appreciate that but and I think again it might have had more impact in 1981 than it does today but I yep. just felt the repetition of it like oh here he goes and he's hit and he slowly falls into the water right and yep. uh like they really wanted us to be like feel the impact of each one of those hits and to be fair the first few that happen we do but the more the sort of same thing happens. Uh, the dude who sank into the quicksand I felt bad for, because it would be a really no, bad... No, I don't. He, if you stop and you think about it, he starts that whole chain of events, that really tragic chain of events. It's true, but, but it's just a bad way to go. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> slowly, yeah, inevitably I, I sinking. I, I, by the time he sunk to his death, I'm like, sayonara. <laughs> um, I think one thing that ultimately saves
2: this movie, because you could say that this... Is your routine survival thriller, but it's so well made. The cast of character actors, like uh, you mentioned, of course, Keith Paradine, Powers Booth, Peter Coyote's death is shocking. (laughs) A little bit. Uh, You got Frankie Seals, TK Carter, who's in John Carpenter's
1: The Yeah, Nulls. It took me a second to recognize him. I was like, I know you, dude. You just have to picture him in roller skates.
2: Yeah, yeah. You got Lewis Lewis Smith, uh, Alan Aldrey. Les Lanom, um, and of course, rank and review, Cole Hauser Award winner, Fred Ward.
3: Yeah.
2: Fred Ward is no longer here, Larry.
1: I know, it sucks. The world's a little bit less lovely without Fred Ward in it. <laughs> he's just one of those, like, non-flashy, completely team player actors that just... Yeah. He, he He's not always in great movies, but he never sucked in anything, you know?
2: No, no. Well, I mean... Um, it, it's time that we give give this man this man his due. Um, he's in Tremors, Larry. Yeah, he's in Tremors.
3: And he's
1: again, fucking
2: Remo Williams, man, he's
1: Remo fucking Williams. He can play really likable characters, and he can play really hateable characters just as yep. easily. So, bravo to yep. that. I also enjoyed John Bryan, who I don't always enjoy in movies. Here, yep. as I guess maybe the likable cajun one <laughs> uh sorry which one the, he was the guy who was the, the one of the soldiers tried to drown and got saved okay he's a famously was a famously eccentric actor and uh, he was in crime wave and he was in blade runner and he had lots of uh oh, brian bro- james brian uh, yeah What did i say james yeah not?
2: yeah he, he works in a lot of Walter herald films there's a really interesting interview where he talks about like the longer cut of another 48 hours where he's the main bad guy. And apparently they cut out his whole backstory and he, he's actually in the first one as well. Uh, they really played up that relationship. Yeah. Um, and he talks about just having the curve that he has, but he has fond memories
3: of uh, Southern comfort. I think he's really good at it. <laughs> well,
1: there's a, uh, not a very favorable presentation of him. If you talk to, uh, Sam Raimi and his production partner who worked with him on uh, Crime Wave. Apparently he was a real handful. (laughs) But, um, you know, we are none of us perfect. Um, But again, like you were saying, the movie is just full of these faces. Even the one, there's a lot that you recognize, but like the guy from The Thing, like, it's full of faces. I know you. Where are you from? It sort of took me a second for it to click in, but yes. And that sort of speaks that they had a really good person in the casting room anyway. Yeah. And, uh, did, did you ever watch that uh, TV show in the Heat of the Night? Well, years ago.
3: Of course, we have Alan Altre as well as the guy who paints his chest red and stupidly blows up that guy's Ryan James's character's house. Yeah. No, um, the
2: cast works really well together. Apparently, it was a tough shoot, but a, a lot of fun. Um, it's beautifully shot by DP Andrew Lazio. And it's, and it's done so well with that great, neat soundtrack by Ry Cooter, which has that sort of slide going with his guitar and other rhythm guitar. That soundtrack is
1: amazing. But again, very, very sort of copy-paste element from uh, Deliverance in that respect. Um, yeah. But it's not quite the horror movie that Deliverance is, and in Deliverance we're sort of scared for the characters. In this one, we're a little bit indifferent to their fate. And I think... That distinguishes the movie, especially at the time of John Rambo and stuff like that where the vets were, uh, you know, being put up on a bit of a pedestal and, you know, they've been wronged and uh, they're they're wounded and they're, you know, they deserve our support. There's truth to that, but there's also truth to the yeehaw, boy howdy, I want to blow shit up until I realize, boy, this is actually scary and dangerous. Maybe I don't like this. Maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe you know playing with guns on the weekend <laughs> is not yeah. the most intelligent way for, for us to spend our times, and yeah. uh, just the arrogance of these men. Like um, I, unlike you, I don't think I'm cheering for the Cajuns. I think that there was better ways for them to resolve their conflict. No, I, I understand that, and I, I do think it's sort
2: of a masterclass move that he keeps the, the Cajuns uh, yeah. uh, as little seen forces, are like definitely you know sort of off in a wide shot with their backs and sides. We only get to see them really at the end when Sonny Laddam. Your movie always is up a notch when you put Sonny Laddam in who apparently is also quite crazy.
3: Yeah.
1: And again, that might have had something to do with the production difficulties. You had a lot of big personalities clashing in there. But yeah, I wanted to mention him too. I've always loved, of course, Billy from Predator and uh, he shows up in weird movies. He's in Poltergeist. Like... uh, uh, yeah it it definitely works I do think that it functions pretty well but I am pretty indifferent to the climactic third act Well, they drop all the tension and, and, and out of the movie of the before they have any reason to
2: on it. a feel for both Powers Booth and um, the Keith Carradine characters they're the ones that are smart enough and have sort of seen everything unravel i guess you could sort of blame uh powers booth's character what was his name again
1: i can't remember anyway
2: yeah anyways um because he does end up killing uh our dear departed fred ward
1: well that was an interesting confrontation fred ward was an obstacle <laughs> yeah. um but i mean the the whole third act it doesn't it feels like the movie is building to a confrontation but this juxtaposition of the Cajuns having this sort of uh, dance celebration party going on, and you yeah. know P- Powers Booth having this t- fight to the death, uh, it just didn't seem tonally uh, appropriate for what we'd seen for the rest of the movie. And like they try to drop all the stakes in the movie before everything's been resolved. Like if you've been paying attention. There's no reason for these guys to relax right now. And uh, yeah. the the fact that they ask us to believe that is kind of insulting to me, <laughs> you know. I do love the fact that they
2: dig up their friends and hang them up for them to see. Yeah. That's, that's impressive.
1: And again, it sort of puts them full on in villain category. It's one thing to say, you messed with our stuff. You burned our friend's house. It's another thing to start using their dead as ornaments. Once you've killed them, you've officially won that round. Like, (laughs) but again, uh, stopping to dance with the local girls and just sort of like changing the tone of the movie completely for the third drag. I think they were trying to make it different, but it didn't feel like a climactic moment of the movie. Like them holding down this guy and him getting bayoneted and them running out of the town and and being picked up by a random helicopter finally I don't know it felt a little bit slapdash I think mostly the movie works for me but like uh, I think yeah the third act lets us down a little bit it's still a thumbs up review I mean Walter Hill I find even some of his misses to be kind of interesting like Wild Bill doesn't completely work but it's got some really cool stuff in it and uh, you know I, I am a fan of him as a, a director, and like I like the tactics that he uses, and I like how he handles violence. But I mean, uh, I feel like you've seen this type of movie, and honestly, in their own different way, Deliverance and First Blood are kind of both better versions of this. Uh,
2: okay, uh, I think that's, that's that's a fair statement. Um, I guess I was, you know, the first time I said I was. Very much seduced by the color palettes of the movie, There's beautiful shots of that swamp, and I really love that soundtrack and just the fact that you've got a really a, a talented. It's also nice to have a one gender uh, cast movie. Yes, yeah. they're you know few and far between, so that was something else was that I was like ah uh, refreshing. Like there is no sexual tension whatsoever. No. But yeah, it is a very much a classic survivalist thriller movie that. We've seen this story before. Um, I I will give you
1: that. Yeah, um, and you know, play play nicely with others, and you know, don't act all macho and bullshitty, especially if you're only packing blanks. Yep. <laughs>
2: um, what's interesting as well for me, which really has nothing to do with the making of the movie, but uh, there was a while where we're Walter Hill and uh, David Geiler, who also wrote out Alien together with uh, our, uh Walter Hill. Uh, they had, they, they were hired by Fox to, you know, go and find these scripts that you can make cheaply and, uh, get made cheaply as well and get released quite quickly. And they did back-to-back with Alien, which was successful, and then Southern Comfort, which came and went with the whimper. Um, but I just, anyways, there's a, a lot of similarities with that and Alien in a lot of ways where, um. We don't really get to see the Cajuns up until the third act, and we see a whole multitude of them this rather peaceful, loving community, and I guess that sort of juxtaposition where the sound uh, of everything else, you know, from the, the music and the uh, the cars and the, the fire and everything, you, his use of sound, I thought, found very, very, uh, sort of a, a very crafty and skillful way to sort of build up the tension, but, um, yeah. No, uh, I'm a big fan of Southern Comfort. I don't know what to say.
1: It gets the job done. I mean, I don't want to be. I didn't mean to be hard on it. I felt like I the first half of the review saying the good stuff, the second half yeah. of the review saying the bad stuff. And I do think I again, it's, context. It's probably the closest thing to a successful horror
2: movie that Welby Hill has ever made. Supernova, notwithstanding.
1: <laughs> well, I also found it interesting. Apparently, it did much better internationally than it did in the states. And I wonder if the sort of dick slapping of the macho American ideal uh, might have been part of that. Yep. So in that way, I guess I, I'm on side with the movie. I like the message and I like the vibe of it. I just wish it was a little bit less predictable. And if there was a real nail biting climactic ending to put on top of everything that came before it, it could be like this unsung classic as it stands i think it's a very solid walter hill entry but uh, i don't know that it earns classic for me fair enough good enough brother i think
2: so oh you've got to be kidding me yeah this is 476 barbary right yeah i'm renting this place no i booked it a month ago are you sure you have the right place yeah, who am we supposed
6: to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Oh,
5: Why don't you
4: just crash here? Oh no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch. God.
1: So I've been hearing a lot about what a great year for horror it has been this year. There's been a lot of stuff coming up. It's towards the end of the year. YouTube channels talking about it, and I'm not going to sit here and say that this hasn't been a great year for horror because I don't know. I haven't been on top of the newest and best horror as much. This episode that we're now talking about is the most modern horror in it, in that we talk about Prey, the new Predator movie, and we've talked about the new Texas Chainsaw movie. So I weren't about spoilers, but in this particular review especially, this is a brand spanking hot off the presses movie. I don't typically review these ones, but I do think it's one of the few horror movies of this year that I have seen that legitimately lived up to the hype. And, uh, you know, Halloween's End didn't live up to the hype to me. Terrifier 2, it did well, but I don't think it's a good movie. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Smile made over $200 million mm-hmm. in the box office, and I don't hate it, but there is something very familiar about that movie. <laughs> like I've, yeah. I felt like I'd seen it before, so I can be happy for the horror movie successes that's been going on, but so far, the horror movie that came out this year that got my blood going the most <laughs> has been this one, the one we're going to talk about, Barbarian. Um, it weaponizes Detroit in a similar way that, uh, um, Don't Breathe did, the horror movie where you go to this neighborhood where there's basically one house by itself that's actually been occupied, the rest of the neighborhood has just been left to go fallow and crazy and whatnot, and a very credible setup of this young woman who rents an Airbnb, and she shows up and there's a dude already booked there. And what's happened, and what are we doing here, and can I trust this guy, Mm -hmm. and what secrets does this place hold? And one of the reasons I was talking about spoilers, or not trying to be too spoilerific, is that this is one of these movies where each reveal kind of pays into the enjoyment entertainment factor of the movie. So we are going to get to spoilers, but I'm going to take... Will we warn people?
6: Because that was a real pleasure for me with this movie, is... Not knowing where it was going. And like, for somebody who sees as many movies as I do, to not know where a movie is going, that just, so... And it's interesting
1: because on one hand, we don't know where it's going, but on the other hand, it's full of very familiar scenes. Yes. Like... If you're one of these people that cry out about someone walking slowly down a long, dark hallway, you might have some problems with this film, because that seems to be the bulk of the action in the first act, is people walking slowly through dark hallways to make some grim discovery. But it's how you do it. Mm -hmm. And again, we will get into spoilers, but maybe we'll just table it for the time being. Um, I appreciate the way that the movie jumps that its narrative sort of... Chord, we're following one character for a while and then we sort of jump the needle on the record and we follow another character for a while and then these two characters meet up again. I like that structurally as a story and like I say, I like that I can see its influences but cannot necessarily predict it. So that's where I start with Barbarian before we get to the meat and potatoes.
6: (laughs) And I think after I saw this, I don't know if I sent the message to you. I sent it to. It was on Facebook, I think. Yeah, yeah I probably put it on Facebook and um, and to 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 Scott Lehman and another buddy of mine where we're working out this other show about October. Uh, and it was in the middle of October when I saw it. I said, you, know, you, you whether it fits with the themes that Scott put or whatever, you need to check out Barbarian. It, it's. I, I'm debating a bit. I ha, I actually have... I think it has been a good year for horror. There's some I haven't seen. But I have two or three that I'm contemplating on putting on my 10 best list because I'm a nerd and I do a top 10 best list right. um, at the end of the year. And yeah, Barbarian and one other movie are, are, are very close. I don't think it's one that you're reviewing for this episode. But I, I just felt... You know, there's a couple things, and and on a, a rewatch of it for this, it's not a perfect movie, and I think maybe it's one if you if you watch it too many times, you're gonna start to see a few of the the problems. Yet, then even after that, I thought about it, and I was I was kind of trying to um, argue for the movie or say, okay, there, that's that, but that's a trope for this particular genre or whatever. Uh, And it's just a sign I really love the movie. But it's that very thing that you talked about was, you know, the switches, those, you know, those needle jumps and the timing of it. I mean, again, I haven't seen anything that Zack Krager, the writer-director, has done before this, Um, but I'm I'm intrigued with what he's going to do
1: next. He's mainly done comedy. He's part of the Whitest Kids You Know
6: troupe. Yeah, I... Heard of this, but I've never seen it, so I don't know anything about it. Really, the sketch
1: comedy troupe. Um, I go really hot and cold on sketch comedy. I believe it's very mood specific. Yeah. Um. So, like, I'd seen it and kind of been nonplussed by it. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think they got a fair day in court yeah. for me, right? So, like, I'm not going to judge that. But I do like that he comes from a comedy background because, like, as I've said before, comedy and horror actually kind of pull hands,
6: and they're both very difficult to pull off yeah. successfully. Um. But but his, sorry, just it's the editing as well. I mean the cut to the next section is always brilliant. It's this moment where we think something else is going to happen and then oh, we're taking us in a different direction. I mean it's this is kind of high praise for me. It's it's almost like it's not as good as as Tarantino, but what Tarantino was kind of doing to surprise his audiences in the 90s, uh particularly where you you thought you were going along with one thing, and it turns out to be something completely different. And then the pieces kind of come together. I guess I'm a sucker for screenplays like that, but that, that's what I really like about this.
1: He wants to keep us on our toes. Yes. And to a priority of making it more important to keep us on our toes to make some of the stuff in the story actually make sense, there's a homeless person who, for some reason, knows all of the secrets of the house. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, but... He thinks the best way to warn this woman is to run at her full yes. tilt, screaming, Lady!
6: Lady! Lady! Like uh, After she's been warned about you're in a rough neighborhood, yeah. you shouldn't be staying there. His approach yeah. doesn't make sense. No, it
1: doesn't. Upon revisiting the movie. yes, But when you're watching the movie for the first time and you're already worried for her, you're just like, oh Jesus, what now? What now? And it's fine. The casting of um, two of the main characters... Bill Skarsgård, who we're all, like, fried from now because of his performance from Pennywise. Like, we're we're sort of somehow just built to not trust him, which is very Uh helpful for that character. And then Justin Long, who, with the exception of Tusk, almost always plays warm, friendly guys. (laughs) And he's, like... The protagonist of this movie. Yeah. Everything that we learn about him, he becomes a more terrible individual. And every decision he makes and everything he does. Makes him a more terrible yeah. individual as the movie progresses. And it's interesting because we're expecting that from Sarsgaard, but we're not necessarily expecting it from Justin Long. And they kind of use that against us uh, yeah. in the movie, which I, again, it's it's more a surface thing, but I, I appreciate his interest in messing with us.
6: It, it's, it's smart casting. And I guess in the first time I saw the movie, that some of the decisions that A.J., Justin Long makes... That was the one thing where I was kind of like, "I okay, I'm not not sure if I'm buying this." And then, so then I was laser focused on that because I'm actually having to review the right. thing, and and then I I kind of go like, I think it's kind of brilliant in a way because we start off with one thing with that guy, which we're like, "Are we? Have we jumped to a completely different movie?" <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. And, Meanwhile, and, in and a then, different movie, and then at the end we're like okay we've been kind of cheering for this guy but should we have been cheering for this guy <laughs> and probably our our, our fil- films monster is actually kind of sweet and has a, like this very strange again not to spoil the ending but this really unusual tender moment just before a brilliant cut to the end of the film. I right. mean, I, you know, again, completely, completely in love with this movie, and yeah. so you'll...
1: Uh, I'm just going to say one it, more thing, and then I think we'll just give them the chance to stop the review and not have spoilers, yes, and then we'll get please, into the spoilers. Yeah. Um I, I like the sort of modern vibe of this, and that it's a believable, quote-unquote, scenario until it's not, like... Getting, booking an Airbnb in a different city and showing up there and there's somebody already there, that's a very credible thing that mm-hmm. could happen in this day and age of like people not keeping track of the properties. Justin Long knows he owns property in Detroit. He doesn't know where it is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know like who's <laughs> managing it, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought you're talking about him not being scared and walking down the hallways with his measuring tape. I thought that whole sequence with him and his measuring tape was actually hilarious. Because well, it is, because he's
6: trying to make money. Exactly. I mean, he's trying to get himself out of the, the situation he's in. All he sees with this yet.
1: property is Dollar signs. He doesn't yes. see a, a hidden torture room. He yes. sees more floor space. He doesn't see a secret rock <laughs> dungeon in the basement. He sees more floor space, and he just gets out his tape measure, and he's not phased yeah. by it.
6: And you're not sure if you can believe it, but I just kept laughing. Like, dude, what are you doing? If he is that self-absorbed... <laughs> then it it makes sense but yeah I, and that's where the because Long can be very funny Yeah, and again this writer-director comes from a comedy background so uh, there, there are some like just awkward, painful but it's in the realm of it could be comedic or it could be horrific beats in this film in the performance as well and I think that's where we kind of see that background play out mm-hmm. best
1: Um, Yeah, so I do think that for me, the comic beats worked, but I would understand someone saying, oh, come on uh we'd also already done the scene where like our female protagonist finds the room finds the rope finds the door finds... like we'd already yeah. discovered all these rooms so we weren't going to be sort of refrightened by them yeah. so the retaking of it is he's just got his tape measure out <laughs> i and, don't know
6: and just before if anybody shuts it off because of the spoilers just i shout out to georgina campbell as tess that's right the central character and i think she uh she anchors the film well and plays a kind of each section of it and, and that beginning sequence doesn't work without if her. we aren't, you know, without her and without us kind of seeing things happen. No. And When uh, the narrative jumps eyes.
1: to Justin Long, and I like Justin Long's character and I did laugh, I met, missed her and wanted to know what was happening with her yeah. character, which was deliberate. That's a good... So I do think that works. So I'm going to move on to spoiler territory now, unless you had okay. something else you want to say. Yeah, and I
6: just, I really have to emphasize, if it was on my own podcast, I'd be saying this too. If you haven't seen Barbarian yet, stop, watch Barbarian. It's not a terribly long movie. Then rejoin us for the rest of this review.
1: Neither Jason or I want to be responsible for wrecking Barbarian for anyone. So you've given lots of warning. Yeah. So here we go. Yeah, um, the house had been owned by this man. Actually, the actor I just talked about in Perkins 14, Richard Brake. He's been in a lot of uh, Rob Zombie movies. He was in the last... Tremor movie, who's a That's right. game hunter, and he's got this really hard face, and he's been, uh, had been living there for years, and kidnapping and torturing women, he has this collection of videotapes, um, and one of the women he had offspring with, and this is never, none of this is totally, like, told to us in sort of a plot sort of way, oh. we kind of interpret it, but this child has grown up in the darkness of this hidden basement, and the only video they had was, like, this parenting video, this cartoon parenting video. And this child has grown into this creature, kind of in the vein of the mama creature, in that it's a mom that's hungry mm-hmm. to be a mother, mm-hmm. but she's not supernatural. She's physically real. Mm-hmm. And it's got the uncanny valley thing in that it's a man in a prosthetic suit playing the mother mm-hmm. character. Uh, And there's a lot of, I guess, nudity. Like the suit is made to look like this sort of gangly naked woman. Uh So we got these tig-ass biddies bouncing around, Uh (laughs) chasing us all the time. So um, it's it's a lot to deal with. But yes, if you take a breath and look at where that character came from and what she wants to do, which is mainly house and feed them, (laughs) uh, I think it is possible to feel sorry for her. But the actual reality of all the situation, again, when you step back, after you're done taking the ride, and you've caught your breath, and you're looking back on all of this, does it all hold together 100%? I'm not sure that it does, but it is an absolutely delicious horror movie while it's happening. And for me, especially in the crop that we've had recently, that was almost enough to get excited about. So... Yeah, there's reveals upon reveals, upon reveals. Sort of the deeper you get into the house, the more sick the stories become. Mm-hmm. And the break guy is still there briefly. We we actually see him in in a scene. So how this place? I mean, Detroit's the perfect setting. Like, yes, some, it, it nobody's is. looking at this neighborhood. No one's looking. What's going on? These women have not only just been kidnapped, but they've been forgotten about. Mm-hmm. So, you know. How credible it is, I don't know. But how credible are most horror movies, I guess, at the end yeah. of the day? <laughs> um, going to big proper spoilers, be not because I want to spoil the whole movie, but because I do think it's a flaw. There's a water tower that they're climbing, I think it is, at the yes. end of the movie. Yeah. And there's a climactic scene in which a character is pushed off the water tower, mm-hmm. and they just do this top-down shot of her falling. And I don't know why, to me, it's the fakest shot in the movie. I just don't believe it. It's not they're trying to extend the moment so we can see what happens wow. and how she's saved and what happened. But by this point in the movie, I'm a little bit, oh dear. We kinda we're a little bit off the tracks. But everything that happened before was so strong. Again, I'm willing to take that movie to the finish line. And whatever horror movie or whatever movie this guy decides to do next. I will definitely check out with some measure of interest. And I'm not trying to scare anyone away from watching the movie. I'm just like... It's one of these things where the good in it is so strong, it eclipses any Mm -hmm. of its
6: flaws. Yeah. I mean, I have a list of questions. I mean, the nitpicky things, but I'm... That's not even necessarily worth getting into. But yeah, that water tower, the first time I saw it and I... And I agree that's probably the weakest moment in the entire film, which is too bad because they've had so many great moments leading up to it. But I do kinda think that still that the moment after that, the moment at the end makes up for it almost immediately. And again, I'm just (laughs) a little being careful. Maybe um yeah, just a sucker for how once again his timing, use of music, it was it was all there for the last moment of the film, which made me forgive some choices that it, you know, specifically the Justin Long character makes. Yeah. And just how, how that whole sequence played out. It just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that isn't that credible about it, but at the same time, it, it just doesn't matter because it's just how many, how many horror movies that are, you can say are, have something original to them. Right. Yet it still played on very familiar, you're right, scenes you and think tropes. You you know where it's and, going.
1: Yeah. Oh, and that's the thing. After the movie is when I thought, so was it all based on discovery? Could they have stayed in that house and left and not noticed? If she hadn't found that door and hadn't gone into that room yeah. and hadn't found the second door, hadn't gone down, like maybe she would have been fine. Except then I thought when I watched it the second time, no. Mum comes upstairs. Yeah. Mum's in her room that first night. Mm-hmm. So, is she stalking them? Like, we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know.
6: Because she's pretty convinced it's Bill Sarsgaard, who's... Yeah. Because he's... He, yeah, he's kind of... She, she's gone to this point of trust and even a little bit of a flirtatious thing. And then she wakes up in the middle of the night. Her door had been shut. And it's, and open. it's open. And it's open. And, I mean, a there's, a, there's a lot scene. of... A lot of things that kind of are, are floating out there. Particularly that scene when she discovers him he's having that violent night terror dream and then you're like what what's going on there maybe there's something more to this guy still we're not sure we started to trust him but maybe we shouldn't be trusting him and Uh, and and, uh, controversially Mm -hmm. i would say about sarsgaard controversially this is 1000 times the performance that his Pennywise is okay Uh, a lot of people disagree with me on that i'm not a fan of his Pennywise, but
1: well i mean that's a separate conversation but uh I think that we're built to not trust him because mm-hmm. of the Pennywise background. And he says everything right, but he has these pauses. And there's just a little bit too much air in the conversation. Yeah. So you can never get comfortable with him. So and he, I think that's well yeah. handled.
6: He comes across as as creepier than he should, but he's trying to overcompensate for it. And he's just an awkward guy, I, yeah. I think is kind of the conclusion. But, I, yeah. but
1: again... Uh, a question because I don't know the answer. Why does mom kill him?
6: Well, I th- I, I I feel that it's because um, if if one of her children because they are all her babies, yeah, if one of her babies is is acting bad or trying to run away, then she reacts very protectively and very violently. Right, and and we see that when her her next son tries to get away that's right. you know
1: doesn't work out I well. I
6: don't I don't completely understand why she uh roams around the neighborhood at night because there's that whole element of of that like, you can't be around here at night because that's when she comes out and that's how and far gone
1: she was growing up in the darkness she doesn't think there's another home to find like She Mm -hmm. can leave whenever she wants, but she chooses to go back to that tiny room.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It's an interesting movie. Uh, Like, totally worth checking out. Not perfect, but uh, so much closer to the type of horror movie that I want to see. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'd recently reviewed The People Under the Stairs, which I guess has a similar plot, but (laughs) is not taking it nearly as seriously. No, No, And I like that, you know, it took itself seriously. I mean, like I say, there's some some threads you can pull, but it's totally worth your time. Yes, I agree. Unfilled episode has been satisfactorily ranked through. Um, I know we're not officially doing ranks, but for those who are interested, if I was forced to rank this list of movies, I would probably go in fifth place: Pig Hunt. Fourth place: Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Third place: Southern Comfort. Second place: Let's say Prey. And in first place, I'll give it to Barbarian. None of them perfect movies, but. Um, yeah, I don't have a guest to bounce my thoughts off of, but that would have been my rank. <laughs> more exciting news is there's two episodes left in the season, and I'm going to tell you right now that uh, you're, you're in for a couple of good ones, and we're going to talk about more bad magic with Matthew Risling in episode 224, and the season finale will be Lee Beckman and yours truly discussing the legend of Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you have feedback to send me on this or any episode, you can send that to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca. Please spread the word. Do check out Jason Debray's podcast, The Shelf-Shedding Movie Show. And thank you so much for your time, for your patience, for your ears. This is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, saying we'll hear you next time.